And as you begin to meditate on this, God's love for you will become, become more and more real to you. And as God's love becomes more and more real to you, fear will begin to fade into the past because you can't be absorbed in God's love for you and be afraid at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. Perfect love, First John says, casts out fear. It drives it out. And the more you know how much God loves you, the more fear has, can't find a place in you. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear and guilt are the main weapons that Satan uses to paralyze Christians. And we're going to talk about the other side of that tonight. So we've looked at over those things. And then over the last few weeks, we were spending time looking at what it talks about Paul's prayer, that God would open our eyes to see the hope of his calling for our life and the inheritance that we have together with all the saints. Now, there's a third thing that he prays. We're going to read down through the whole chapter, and then we'll pick up on the verses that we're going to look at tonight. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us, that just means preplanned, us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us. Some translation says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and understanding of prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That, he, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, and this is it, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Number one. Number two, and this is what he wants us to have a revelation of, the eyes of your understanding being lightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling, which are the riches, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is, this is what we're going to look at tonight. What is the exceeding greatness, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him as right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, amen. Now we're going to take this apart, looking starting in verse 19. He said, 
God's prayer, his prayer is that God would open the eyes of the people in this church, and therefore we have a right to ask for that here at Faith Christian Center. God would open the eyes of our, we would see the hope of his calling for our life, that we would see the glory of the inheritance that we have together with all the saints, and this is it, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us. Not the exceeding greatness of his power, because this is God who created the universe with just his word saying, let there be. We talked about this two weeks ago. We talked about the word their power is dunamis, which comes from which we get the English word dynamite. And it is the inherent ability of somebody. And so we spend time talking about God's inherent ability, God's innate ability. What is God's ability? Nothing is impossible to him. He created the universe by simply saying, let there be. And Hebrews tells us it's still held together by the power of those words or the words of those power. Still held together in place. Science governs time by the pulsing of an atom which God set in place by saying, let there be, thousands and thousands of years ago. And so the innate power of God, but he's going to give us an example here that, he'd open the, that we would see the exceeding greatness of the power that he displayed, look at this, towards us. It's one thing if God has all this power, but he's taken that power and he's displayed it, displayed it towards us. How? When he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Now the two most difficult things to do is to take something that's dead and make it alive again. The only thing more difficult is to take something that never existed and cause it to come into existence. And you and I don't know what that's like because we don't ever create anything. We have wonderful workmen and technicians and people that have built this lower stage, that are working on all these things, that have designed these stuff and working on it, but they didn't create anything. All they've done is gone to Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, and some places are more expensive than those, and brought, put these assembled things that God created. Basic matter man cannot create. And if I understand one of the principles of physics is energy is neither created nor destroyed. God's the one that created energy. So God is the only one that has the ability to create something out of nothing, and he can do it with just saying, let there be. And this same God demonstrated that power when he raised Christ from the dead. And we talked about that last time. He was dead and he was in the place of death. And God brought him alive out of that place by sending the spirit, his spirit down to bring him alive again. And by the way, when... When, 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 when Jesus comes back and we get our new bodies, that's where that's going to come from also. Because Romans 8.11 said, if the same spirit, if the same spirit, there's only one, if the same spirit, if the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, does he? He will also quicken your mortal body. So the resurrection, the power of the resurrection when Christ comes back for the church, what's going to transform this body into an immortal body in the flash of an eye is the power of the resurrection that's inside you sitting in that blue chair tonight. 
But the wonderful news of the New Testament is it's not, he's not just in there to perform that. That same power is in you before the resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The exceeding greatness of the power towards us who believe according to the working of the mighty power which he worked, verse 20, when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So he went from the place of death immediately to the right hand of God and was seated there. And you and I are, in, you and I are legally positioned in him right now when you come to Christ. But the reality of it in this body hasn't taken place yet. That's the fullness of of your salvation. Paul talks about the completion of your salvation, the fullness of it. That's when your body gets transformed and my body gets transformed into that body. Okay. So we've looked at this, that, that he took what was dead and made it alive. He raised him up to seat him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. This position is a position of authority. Then he talks about this, verse 21. That position is far above, now look at this carefully, all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. Now hold your finger here and go over to chapter 6. We talked about this a few months ago. Paul's talking about spiritual warfare here. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So our warfare is against the devil. His warfare against us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but look at this, against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now that's not talking about heaven where God lives. That's talking about the spiritual atmosphere around this earth. There are different levels of heaven, and the heavenlies essentially refer to the spirit realm. So when it talks about heavenly places here, it's taught because the devil doesn't live in heaven. But he was sent down here and loose down here with his one-third of the fallen angels who are now demons, was loose down here, and they're at loose creating havoc around here. So most of the bad things you see happen in nature are not acts of God, they're acts of the devil. God gets blamed for things the devil does. Because the devil is the God of this world right now. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. The devil, he's not going to be here forever. He's not going to be the God of this world forever because the God of all creation, the Lord of Lords, is coming back to establish his reign here for a thousand years. Amen. But for right now, Satan's loose on this earth and he is our enemy. This is who we wrestle against. But notice again what Paul refers to them here in this same letter principalities and powers and rulers in heavenly places. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. Christ has been raised and seated in heavenly places far above, what? Principalities and powers and might and dominion in every name that's named. So Christ has been given dominion over that. He's been given authority over the spiritual forces that are released against us here and against whom we are engaged in spiritual warfare, but Christ has been given authority over them. Well then, how come if he's been given authority over them, are we having so much trouble with him? Ah, I'm glad you asked that question. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him, this is the Father, 
put all things under he, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, to the, be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Now, I want to look. Can you put that first slide up? Can you get that up there? This is what it says in the NIV. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. God has appointed him, Christ. God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Christ, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Go to the next slide. This is the NLT, the New Living Translation. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made him to be head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere in himself. Notice the key here. Christ, God who has the ultimate authority, has put Christ as head over all things. Now, that's a temporary position. We're not going to take the time to look there. But if you go into, into uh, 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see that when the end of this age takes place, when, all, when Satan is finally defeated, Christ is going to take all authority and hand it back to the Father, and then there will be no more need for authority. So that authority has been given to him if you've taken spiritual authority here, and I may get into that on a Wednesday night down the road. If you take, you'll, we walk through that process by which you understand what authority is for. Authority is a tool that's given to you, if God's given it to you, to carry out a responsibility. God never gives authority without giving a responsibility. So the very limit of the authority is determined by the limit of the responsibility. And God has given ultimate responsibility to Christ, and therefore God has given him ultimate authority. And for, this, for the purpose of making his, putting his enemies under his feet. In Hebrews it talks about Christ is seated until his enemies be made his footstool. Well, wait a minute, if Christ is seated... And if it says God has put all things under his, in authority and made him to be head over all things, how come he's waiting until his enemies are made his footstool? Because Christ, the church is his body, and he's been made head. So the head is seated until the body makes his enemies his footstool. Christ came to win back the authority that Adam gave in the beginning. We looked at this a long time ago. God, when he created this earth, and he put, created his man and woman, and put them in the garden, God gave them authority over this earth. Why? Because God gave them responsibility 
to cause it to multiply and to be fruitful and to tend it. And for that responsibility, God gave them the ultimate authority over here. God's the source of it, but he delegated it to that man and that woman. And then in chapter 3, what this is really all about, Satan comes in and deceives Adam and Eve. He, doesn't, he deceives Eve. He doesn't deceive Adam. Adam simply just disobeys him. And when Adam disobeys him, in an effort to make himself like God, he takes the authority that God had given to him, and he now gives it to Satan. So Satan, from this point on, in Genesis chapter 3, is now the God of this world. Again, 2 Corinthians 4.4 refers to him as the God of this world. When Jesus, after he'd been Uh, baptized in the Jordan River, the Spirit of God descends on him and leads him in the wilderness to what? To be tempted by the devil. And one of those temptations is Satan brings him up to the top of the mountain and says, all that you see here, this whole earth, I'll give it to you. In other words, you've come to take this authority back. I'll give it to you. You don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to suffer. If you'll just bow your knee and touch the... Just bow here. Nobody's looking. Just bow here for a second. I'll give it to you, what you came to do. But see, if Jesus had done that, the source of his authority would still be through Satan. So Jesus had to come and be the second Adam. Jesus came to be the second Adam to be obedient where the first Adam was disobedient. And though he was tempted in the same way that Adam was tempted, he didn't disobey God. And because of that, he established a new line of authority as the second Adam. So that when you come to Christ and and you receive him and you're now joined in him and become part of his body... You're under a, you and I are under a different line of authority than the rest of the world that's still under Adam's line of authority. And Adam's line of authority now runs through Satan as the god of this earl, which is why Satan was, did everything he could to stop Jesus, because it wasn't just to pay for your sins, it was to win back the authority over this domain. So when you come into Christ, when you're born again, you now become part of him. All the things we read through chapter 1 talk about in him, in Christ, through Christ. God has put all things under his authority and made him to be the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. And he's the head. So the head is seated at the right hand of the Father. And those parts of the body that have gone on before us, that are described in Hebrews chapter 11. Chapter 12 says this great cloud of witnesses is looking down on us. So there's part of the body of Christ that's already in heaven. But there's a part of it that's still left here, and that's you and me. And his body is here so that we can complete what the head started. And that's to make his enemies, principalities and powers, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Remember that? All the people you see on TV and you want to get mad at what they'd say and what they're standing for, we don't wrestle against them. They're just tools of the God of this earth. And we don't have authority over them, but we do have authority in, in the spirit realm where it matters. So this authority that he won back 
isn't so he can display it in heaven. This authority that we want back is for the benefit of the church so that we can carry out what we're here to do. Now, you don't hear this in a lot of churches because the idea of having church is we come and we sing some songs and we, you know, and we, 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 we love on each other and we help one another out and we do good deeds out in the world. But where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power? Well, you can leave that up there. That's good to watch. Good, good to look at. Okay. Let's, um, let's go look at some examples of this. Go look over in Luke chapter 9. Because what religion will tell you is, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Of course he had authority. Of course he did those things. But we're just men. We're just women. We're just, we're, we have weaknesses. We don't do everything right. We're not always faithful when we need to be faithful. Well, there were some men around him that weren't always that great either. Peter kept putting his foot in his mouth. James and John wanted to burn people with thunder. Thomas had trouble doubting. And if you read carefully, all the rest of them did too. Even after he'd been raised from the dead. And he's standing there. Ready to ascend into heaven. And they've seen him die. They've watched him walk through walls. They've seen him eat fish and it didn't just fall out. They've seen him speak and all of a sudden their nets are full of fish. And it said, so still some of them doubted. So seeing isn't necessarily believing. I'm in John, that's why it doesn't look right. Luke chapter 9. And when he called the 12 disciples together, he gave them power and authority. We talked last time about the difference between power and authority. Power is the ability to carry out what you say. Authority is delegated. And the example, best example of all, is a policeman directing traffic. And so you come to a work zone or you come to a a traffic where the lights have gone out and there's a police officer there in a uniform so you know he's he's been given by the government, Providence or Seekonk or wherever you happen to be, he's been given authority to control the traffic. So as you're coming down the road, he holds his hand up and says, stop, and he waves somebody else through because there's only a single line of passage there. He does not have the ability to stop your 3,000-pound vehicle unless he wants to get run over. He can't stop you if you decide to go through him. But the reason you stop, other than the fact that you're law-abiding citizens and you, are, you, know, you live according to the principles of God, which is we obey the laws of the land, other than that, you realize if you go through it anyway, he's going to write your number down and you're going to get a visit from a police officer who's going to serve a warrant on you or something in the mail. In other words, they're going to follow up and they're gonna, if you don't come, they send somebody to get you. So behind his uniform, his uniform tells you that although he doesn't have the power to stop you, he's been given by the government the authority to tell you what to do in that context. But if they put him out there in a Sherman tank, or whatever the biggest tanks are now, 
and he says stop and he lowers that barrel at you, he not only has the authority, but he has the power to stop you. So Jesus gave them authority and power over all demons and to cure diseases and then he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now remember I told you, authority is only given when you've been given a responsibility. So Jesus has given them a responsibility to go out and to preach the gospel and to heal the sick. And then he gave them the power and the ability to carry that out. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff or bag or bread or money, and, if, and you don't, don't have two tunics apiece. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, shake the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Say, well, you know, go down to verse 10. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So he sends them out. He delegates to them the same authority and the same power he has to go do what he was doing. Well, that's the 12, that's the apostles of the Lamb. Oh, really? Let's go over to chapter 10. Verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Have you heard that verse before? Very common verse for revival. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Go your way. So he's going to do what he's praying. He's sending laborers into the harvest. He's giving them a responsibility. And see, the church is trying to carry out the responsibility without the authority and power that's been given to do it. So Jesus assigned them a responsibility which was to go out and to preach the gospel. But he gave them his authority and his power that he exercised to carry out what he did so that they could represent him and carry that out also. So here's what happens. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals. Greet one another. No, greet no one along the way. In other words, this urgency. But whatever house you enter, first say peace into this house. And if a son of peace is there, then your peace will rest there. If not, it will return to you. And remain in that house, eating and drinking such things as they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, receive you. Eat such things as, you, as, you set, as they set before you. And heal the sick. And to say unto them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, do what I've been doing. But whatever city you enter, if they do not receive you, go into the streets, and the very dust from your city which clings to you, wipe away against you, and nevertheless know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say unto you, it will be more fit, more tolerable for the day of Sodom and Gomorrah in that city. And then he gives out some woes. Verse 17. And the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, 
Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, don't get too impressed with that. Don't get too impressed with that. I saw, I saw him fall from heaven. It didn't take long. It was like a bolt of lightning. He's talking about the authority that he had. And they came back excited, saying, Lord, even the demons, the principalities and powers and rulers, they're subject to us in your name, in your authority. When you see that phrase, in my name, in his name, it is a power of attorney. I can tell you legally what a power of attorney is. A power of attorney is when somebody has delegated to you their authority. So when you exercise that power of attorney, you are operating as if it were, you were them. You can sign, I have a power of attorney for my mother who's not able to handle her own affairs. I can sign her tax returns. In fact, I'm the only one who can sign her tax returns. I can sign her tax returns. I can sign her checks. And I can sign in her name. And it's as if legally she signed it. And where did I get that? Because she gave it to me. Now, there's such thing as a limited power of attorney where it's given to you only for a particular purpose. It may be to sign papers for passing of a house or something like that, but a general power of attorney is to sign everything and have the same authority as, as if you were that person because legally you are considered to be that person for the exercising of judgment and, and their authority. And Jesus has given his church his power of attorney to sign his name. And doesn't that make sense? Because we are his body. We are his body. And so we have a church today, largely, at least in the United States, and it's not exclusively, it's not everybody, I understand that I'm generalizing, that's trying to go out and do what we're supposed to do here, but without the authority. We have it, we don't know we have it, or we don't exercise it, because we've allowed the devil to intimidate us, because we might be different, or it might not work, or whatever the fear is of the doubt. Or we just don't know we have it. All right, let's go on and look at some other things. Let's go to Matthew 28. Remember the story of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5? The centurion, this wasn't a Jew. This wasn't a man with a covenant with God. This is a Roman soldier, an officer. And he comes to Jesus because he has a servant. Some translations will tell you it was a son. He has a servant that's suffering with some, some terrible disease. And all he says is, Master, he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home suffering. And before he can finish what he's saying, Jesus said, I'll come and heal him, which tells you how ready he is to come and heal. He didn't even wait to hear what the centurion was going to say to him. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. That's not what I was going to ask you. You don't need to come. I'm not worthy for you to come under my house. And the whole issue here isn't whether he was worthy or not. But in his mind, he wasn't worthy because he had no covenant with God, because he was a Roman soldier. 
And, she, and he says, I'm not worthy if you come into my house. And basically he says, and you don't need to. Because he says, I recognize the authority that you have. I recognize it. And he says, because I also, that's a key word in there, I also in someone under authority. And somebody who's in authority. Because I say to my soldiers, go, and they go, and I say to them, come, and they come, and I say to my servant, do this, and they do it. So he's saying about Jesus, because I'm under authority and I'm in authority, I recognize what authority is. I have an understanding of authority, and I can recognize you're somebody who's under a higher authority, and therefore you're somebody who's in authority. Because authority has to flow from the source. Authority, you know where authority comes from? It comes from the one who made you. If you've ever bought a new car, you go to the dealership, and the dealer gives you basically two things. They give you title to the car. Where did they get that from? Where did the dealer get title from the car? Suppose it's a Ford dealership you go to, Task up here or something like that. Where, where did Tasca or whoever the dealer, where did they get title? They got it from the Ford Motor Company. Where did the Ford Motor Company got it from? They made the car. So the, the creator, the maker of something, creates ownership. Ownership comes from the one that creates it. And then when you buy it, that ownership is transferred to you as well as a key to the car. Now, nowadays, I've got a car that doesn't have any actual key. It's just a thing you carry in your pocket. The problem with that is if the car's running and I get out to go somewhere and my wife gets into drugs, that happened once. She drove the car somewhere and I was in my pocket. And she didn't know it until she stopped the car and went, well, we don't need to get into all that. <laughs> but anyway, without the key, you can't run the car because the key is the recognition you have the authority over that. So if somebody comes to me and says, can I borrow your car? How would I give you the authority to borrow that, operate that car? By transferring the keys to you. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom of God. Here's the car keys, Peter, to the kingdom of God. Whatever you bind on earth, literally in the Greek it says, will be as if it's already been bound in heaven. In other words, God's saying, whatever authority you exercise here... I'll back it up in the spirit realm. You exercise it here, and you don't have the power in the spirit realm, but I'll back you up with my power. So when you tell the devil to flee, if he stands there looking funny at you, I'm standing behind you. Well, I won't get into it. There's a story about that, but we don't take the time to get into that. Okay, Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them. He's about to be ascended into heaven. All authority, all authority, God has put all things under, all, under the authority of Christ and made him to be the head over all things for the benefit of the church. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. You go. And what's implied is you go in my authority and make disciples. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church, which is his body. So he's given the head authority over all things for the benefit of his body, which is us. And it's made full and complete in Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. But this authority has been given to us as the tool to carry out the purpose for which we were given, which is to make this go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. Remember, we just read, he told his disciples, go out, cast out demons, heal the sick, and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near you. We're out there trying to tell them about the kingdom of God, but we have nothing to show. The kingdom of God loves you. Jesus has come to the earth to save and deliver. And they want to see something. They want to see something. Show me something. Jesus is saying, all the authority that my Father has given to you, go and tell them about me. Go tell them the good news and show them that the kingdom of God has come near to them by casting out demons, by healing the sick. The kingdom of God. The only way you know something's near is if you see something. Especially in the world, they don't have faith to believe that. They need to see results. Authority has been given for the benefit of the church to carry out what we're here to do. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. There's a number of places where Paul talks about this. I began to see this in phrases that I would read. Paul, little things tucked away, and some of the things that was in here earlier. Philippians. Ephesians Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Paul's talking about his ambition here. Verse 9 says, That I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him That word in Greek, know, is epinosis, which means to have a close, personal, intimate knowledge of. And of the power, the dunamis, the dynamic power, the dynamite power of his resurrection, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. I want to know that in my life. The power to overcome. And so much of the church is bound up by fear. So much of the church is bound up by emotional issues. Some of the church is bound up and intimidated by the news and what's going on in the world. What if ISIS does this? And what if, you know, so-and-so gets elected? Or what if this happens? And what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? As if God fell off the throne. Do you understand that the time in which Paul lived 
was so much more worse than it is today. And the things that came against him to stop him, and yet they couldn't, the devil couldn't stop him. Oh, he went through discouraging times, but nothing could stop him. I mean, here he is in the Philippian jail, in the innermost jail, with his feet in stocks, with Silas next to him. Midnight, at pitch black, damp and dark. We don't even know if he had anything to eat. Little things probably running around all over the place, and you can't even see what they are because it's dark. You know, at midnight is when you get the most discouraged. At midnight is when things seem, in the middle of the night, it seems to seem the worst. And what does Paul and Silas begin to do? They start having a worship service. They wouldn't allow the circumstances to change them. Why? There was something inside of them. There was a life inside of them. There was a boldness inside of them. It's interesting because in Acts chapter 4, when the church is threatened not to preach in his name again, isn't it interesting? That shows you where the issue is, doesn't it? And you can do anything you want. You can preach anything. Just don't use that name. We had friends years ago that had a, a, started a church in, in the, in the, in somewhere in Massachusetts. And they started by renting, a, a, I've forgotten, some denominational church which didn't have enough people in it to support it. So they rented the church out in the afternoon to this new church that was started. And, and what happened is the new church had more people than the old church that had been there for so long. So they started allowing them to use the, the sanctuary. So they was back in the, in the charismatic age when they used banners in churches, you know. And they said, you know, could we just leave the banners up? It's so hard to put them up and take them down. They said, you can leave all the banners up, but don't leave any of the banners up that has the name Jesus on it. This is a Christian church. It might offend somebody. Let's you know where the issue is, doesn't it? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The power, the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Chapter 1 talks about um, uh, the world's values, and it says... You know, God did not choose, God chose the weak things of the world uh, to, to, to shame those that are mighty. He chose the, the, the things that are not to shame those that, you know, basically God didn't choose people based on their education. He didn't choose people based on their position. He chose people based on, in many cases, their weaknesses and what they don't have to show what he can do through them. But then in chapter 2, he says, but there is a wisdom. He said, I didn't choose the wise. In many cases, I chose the foolish. But chapter 2 says, But I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come in excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, but I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of of the Spirit, and of power. Paul said, I didn't come to you with enticing, flowery, deep words of man's wisdom, but I came intending that you know one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I came to you in the demonstration, the demonstration, that's something you can see, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, 
after he gave him the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we just looked at it. We were looking on Sundays in Mark chapter 16 and Luke chapter 24. All he gives, in all three of those, he gives them a commission of something to do and the little variations in them. But in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, having given them that commission, he told them to do one other thing. He says, having all that I've trained you to do, all that I've taught you, having demonstrated all these things for you, now having commissioned you with your responsibility, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Until you're anointed with, saturated with power. Dunamis, dynamic, dynamic, dynamite power from on high. Then you can be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the places of the earth. We've been talking on Sundays that I've just, God's been just asking questions of me, not to find out information, but to challenge me to get me to question some things. Because sometimes you've got to ask questions about yourself before you're open to find out where things really are. And obviously God knows where things are. We're the ones that don't. And sometimes we just go bumping along in life, and if we don't ask questions or God doesn't ask us questions, then we just assume things are okay. And God wants to bring us to another level. And one of the questions that became arising is where's the power? Where's the power of Pentecost? Speak in tongues, worship God in tongues, prophesy sometimes, tongues and inter- But where's the power? 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 Remember what power we're talking about. We're not, we're not talking about the power to feel a little better. We're talking about the power that raises people from the dead, the power that casts demons out. We're talking about the same. Jesus said in his last instructions to his disciples before he went to the cross, he says, the works that I do, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works shall you do because I'm going to the Father. And so, so what are the greater works? I don't care what the greater works. We're not doing the works. And some people will try to water that down by saying, well, that just means getting people saved. The greater works is... Get- sure, that's greater to get people saved. But he said, do the works that I do. And that's why he said, it's to your advantage that I go. Because if I go, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send the Helper, the same one that's been with you in me, and now will be in you. So that the very things that I do, the very connection that I have to the power of God, he's now going to be in you. The power of God, the dynamite of God, the ability of God, the anointing of God is now going to be in my body. So that I can do still. See, the book of Acts isn't finished yet. The Gospels are what the head did. The book of Acts is what his body does to finish it. Look, look, go to Luke chapter 1. Well, I'll have to end here. Little phrases give you big understanding of things. Luke chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 1. Now, the book of Acts is written by the same person that wrote the gospel of Luke. So that's important to understand. And it's written 
to a friend of his named Theophilus. Look at verse 1, Acts 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, that's the Gospel of Luke, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Spirit, had given commandments to his apostles, whom he chosen. All that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach. And this account is a continuation. Book of Acts is a continuation of what Jesus began to do. Because the head started it. And the body is left here to finish it until his enemies are made his footstool. But the head wouldn't exercise that power and authority to start the work and then ascend into heaven and take that power and authority with him and look at his body and says, you go finish what I started, but I'm not going to give you the power to do that. That's right, no way. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head, look at that, head over all things for the benefit of the church. That's you and me. He's given him to be head, authority, over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere. With, oh, we can go there again. But we don't have time tonight. He fills all things with himself. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 is that, that, is that he would be strengthened by his spirit with might in our inner man that Christ might dwell, might live in our hearts by faith that being rooted and grounded in love, we might come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding that we might be filled with all of the fullness of God. The church who fills all things everywhere with himself. If we're filled with God, wouldn't we have the same power and ability that God has if we're filled with Him? Let's pray. Father, we're living in very dangerous times. We're living in a time when the church is, no long, is becoming less and less popular. We're being seen more and more as the enemy. But we believe that we've been put here for such a time as this. That you have an assignment for us. You have a purpose for us. Or else we would not be here. And Father, things that have we've been able to do in the past with just programs and ideas and teachings and doctrines, I believe that the time has come when your body is going to need the power that it once exercised before.
And so, Father, ask, we ask, I ask you that you begin to open our own eyes to look honestly at our own lives and for us to be willing to look honestly at us as a church and come to you and say, where's the power? Father, I see nothing in the Word of God that says that that power that you gave to that church in the beginning was ever to diminish or fade away because the purpose for which you've given it is still there. The authority that you gave to those 12, the authority that you gave to those 70, the power that you poured out on the day of Pentecost, it was poured out so that we could carry out the responsibility that you've given us. And Father, since you've not taken the responsibility back, we have to believe you've not taken the power back and the authority back. We've just lost touch with it and been willing to settle for the status quo. Father, begin to stir in our hearts. Begin to stir in our hearts a desire to see the demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God in our midst, not just in here, but in our lives in the workplace, not just in here, but out on the street corner, wherever situations come across our path, for the power and the anointing of your Spirit to flow out of your body. Our, the body of Christ until your enemies are made your footstool. Put in our hearts a hunger and desire for the outpouring of your spirit in these days, for the power of your spirit in these days, to not be satisfied with the way things are and what we have. Put in us a holy dissatisfaction. We ask you for that tonight, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.